am I not allowed to trash a former guest? No. I, I like you, you. You don't need to, but what do I give a shit? No, that's I, fine. Yeah. Tr- tr- his whole thing tr- is, I liked his book. I just, what a liar when it came to talking about his own work. I, an obfuscating lying man who, who said that his obviously satirical work isn't satire and that there was no logic behind the literary decisions he made. Like why, why was he saying those things to you? I don't, yes, I wrote this novel and gave it great thought without any logic behind it. Um, and all of the things that are obviously made to meant to make a reader laugh. Oh, those were, uh, just observations, not satire. Those were uh, indiscriminate thoughts I had, without punchline or my thought. My thought, which is which is always my my inclination, based on like one data point, is to assume that this has something to do with Britishness. Uh, that, that... You constantly overassert the validity of national difference, as though it's like. I don't know. Everybody seems pretty similar to me. Like those guys who worked at my summer camp when I worked at the summer camp. Like they liked making the kids laugh and drinking beer. Like, I don't like, just like we did. I don't, you, this, this, I think it's very generous of you to think that like uh, eccentricities and picadillos of people in the country has to do with their, their national origin. Like, unless you thought that like about a racial group. Right. I was going to say generous or racist. Would would be the, bigot, yeah. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah. But, um, I could be a generous no, it's, bigot. It's not, like Brian can't help it. It's, not, just that, he's it's Jewish. not that time. Yeah, it's not that Tom Riviere refused to tell the truth on my podcast. It's just that he's British. I, I, um, I will say a few people agreed with you. One seemed genuinely to enjoy that interview. So I'm, 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 great, I'm grateful for the one. Your counterpoint is that an individual enjoyed <laughs> listening to him lie about his own work. Well, then, in fairness, case it, was, closed. it was the same individual who enjoyed the talk about chess. Oh man! (laughs) I think what we mostly have since Tom Riviere was obviously a liar about his own work and had no interest in telling you the truth. I think that provides enough of a condemnation of discussing chess than it does anything else. (laughs) Yeah, as well as of this this entire podcast, arguably. (laughs) It made me even more frustrated with your boy Tom Riviere interview. Mm. Whose name? Whose name is not Tom, by the way. Sure, but if he's his, you his know name what? is Sam, if, great, yeah. great, great. I'm sure Tom Riviere's name is Sam. But let him come on your podcast and answer questions with sincerity, and I will call him <laughs> Sam or whatever his parents named him. Right? Like he claims that this obvious satirical novel he wrote has no satire, just like he claims his first name is Sam. Not interested. Like what Tom Riviere did in his. Um, novel is write a fascinating, nuanced, complex satire about a world where poets have some cultural heft. And instead of explaining that to you, he denied it was a satire, said he gave no thought to why a world would exist where poets have more theft, and runs away. Whereas Amos at least wrote this story clearly as a satire, put some good jokes in it, and it didn't come to close to being as effective as Sam, quote unquote, Tom Riviere's um, novel was. But I have no doubt that Amos would just get a kick out of our talking about it and laughing at it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I mean, and, and he he doesn't seem uh, he doesn't he, he does not seem to think it is anything more or less than it is. 
Um, I, and just, just to clarify, by the way, for the sake of anybody who's listening and might be thinking about coming on the podcast in the future, to, in addition to, in addition to uh, cr- cruelly abusing my former guest, you were also saying you, you uh, enjoyed his book, which was good and people should read. Oh, yeah. Dead Soul. Sam Rivieri's book yeah. is fantastic. Yeah. Tom Rivieri's performance. <laughs> it was it was my interview of him that you hated. Was a travesty because he wouldn't get into what makes all of his novels so successful, which is the nuanced satirical world he creates, where poets are forced to exist in such a way that each and every one of their moves becomes significant to the world and to one another. And hearing him discuss the work of Sam Rivieri would be fascinating. But instead, he hedged and denied and didn't give you a real description of a truly wonderful novel. Also, you should be, you listeners should uh, join Matthew Buckley-Smith on Sleeric. It's because he is a wonderful uh, interviewer. His big flaw as a podcast host, though, is his willingness to have me on every few months to say whatever I want, which in this case is shitting all over his very talented previous guest. Um, if this makes it to it, the final cut, which I give it 50-50, depends on Matthew's mood. Um, you well, the should problem know. is it has to because it's now taken up like 70% of our conversation. There's nothing left. You, sh- you should know that Matthew will treat you with kindness and respect and then, unbeknownst to you, invite me on the podcast to say whatever the fuck I want. So, yes having little to no respect for me or my opinions, you should come on the podcast and have a conversation with Matthew. But please, if you do, be honest that your, whatever the genre is of your work, satire, for example, is satirical, and that whatever you spent years of your life dedicated to creating in the form of an absolutely successful, wonderful novel, you actually thought about the implications of. And you'll also be invited, as Jonathan was, to uh, take pot shots at Brian. I, I do, I do. Um, apart from at some point making some kind of, me, uh, at least paying off the equipment I bought to to do this. I, I think about like some form of monetization. The other advantage I think like having a, a Patreon version of this would be would be walling you off from the public so that only people who are really dedicated to the podcast can listen to you trash everyone else who came on. The problem is is, is you you're, you enter a catch twenty two there because only the only people who would pay to listen to me talk are the people who would be offended by listen who they would be the people who least want to listen to me talk. <laughs> So maybe maybe that maybe the podcast should be you shitting on people, but then in order to hear who whom you were shitting on, they need to pay to subscribe. <laughs> yeah, there's no like what is it? Of what is it works. called? Like where where New York Magazine talks about the television show that happened the week before, right. where I this would be a companion podcast to your podcast. Right. Well, no, I, I think what I'm saying is the companion podcast, like the recap podcast, would be the main public podcast and then the actual content would be, would be what's paywalled. Oh, I see. I see. So the, the, I see. So the free podcast is me speaking nonsense about stuff nobody cares about. In order to understand what we're talking about, you have to pay for the content right. that then you and I discuss. So that, I, yeah. so that ideally I like you would first pay to listen to what you would then go back and hear uh, the, the, the free uh, excoriation of. 
uh, before before I go, because I can hear the, the, the mounting insanity downstairs, uh, Jonathan uh, took a shot at your fetishization of the truth or your your claim that the truth is a fetish. Well, I was going to say, do you, do you either want to uh, re- respond to his uh, cherry picking of, of your line or do you want to cherry pick something he said? And, uh, and no, big move, Jonathan. No, no, I, I respect it. Real cool, man. Listening to a <laughs> six hour interview and taking one sentence out of context. Oh, big poet. Only writes 12 lines, gets a big reputation, writes about how only real poetry is real poetry and no one knows what the fuck you're talking about. I said that as journalists, we are meant to believe that there is something called the truth that we have access to when in all the journalism I have done, I just make it all up. And I believe you do too, Jonathan, (laughs) where I'm saying that when I wrote about brain disorders uh, from which I suffer, let me put that on Facebook and, and hit publish a million times. I suffer from these brain disorders. And I spoke to all these other people who suffer from brain disorders. And my article for the New York Times could have been about how we are forming a great community and are there for each other, or our, my article could be how lonely we all are suffering within our own little ecosystems. Both of those would be truth. So this idea of focusing on what is true and what is false, I think is fetishized because there is no right answer. So we are declaring how true our true statements are when the opposite true the same. That is all I'm saying that the concept of truth as truth is obviously absurd if you get to decide among truths. So yeah, why don't you cherry pick that, Jonathan, and write a haiku, fewer words, what's smaller than a haiku? How dare you, Jonathan, go on a podcast where I am vulnerable and then you take a shot at me afterwards? I allowed myself to say my truths and then you say that I am not telling a truth that I'm cherry picking, I would never do something like that. And I hope you rot in hell, Jonathan Farmer, if that's your real name. Brian Platzer, my other guest's least favorite guest, everybody. Thank you. Thank you so much as always for, for doing this. Anytime. Oh yeah. It's a pleasure. Oh, and, and uh, quickly, you're, you, you recommended the, the new Beatles documentary, which is very, very long, but, but apparently very good. And maybe at some point I will watch it and we'll talk about it. Who knows? But, but you, you said it is worth seeing. I don't know much about the Beatles, but I I thought that John Lennon was sort of this hardcore genius and Paul McCartney was like a cheery guy. But I mean, watching all nine hours of this as Paul McCartney is this like driven, mad, asshole genius who's trying to keep the Beatles together while John and Yoko were strung out on heroin and George is doing his own like selfish artist thing and like Dopey Ringo is making faces and Paul McCartney is just driving them forward. And he's also this beautiful 28 year old and seeing all of this come together from chaos to be Abbey Road and let it be. It's just extraordinary. It's, it's something I didn't know anything about. I, all my um, guesses on who these people were were wrong and just being able to be annoyed by John Lennon and Ringo for nine hours and see Paul McCartney be this like professional working artist as a glorious, beautiful man. It's just, it's, um, it, I, I could watch it forever. 